Good morning. <laughs> I literally sound like a radio broadcaster or something, even though I am not. I don't know. In Toronto, there's like Kiss ninety two point five mornings with like Liz and and Roger or something. Yeah, I forgot the name. If anyone knows, please let me know who like the two men are who host ninety two point five in the mornings. But anyways. This is the second last episode of season one, and I can't believe how fast time has gone. You know, it seems just with the snap of my finger, like two seconds ago, I was contemplating even if I wanted to start this podcast or not. But I'm really happy that I did, and I'm really excited to bring you two powerful and very exciting episodes to really end season one off with a bang. So today we have a conversation with Sarah Law. So she's currently an HR business partner at RBC, and previously she was working campus recruitment at KPMG. And we're really going to talk to her about giving us the tips and the DL on everything that goes behind the scenes with hiring and also how the job industry has really been impacted through COVID-19. So we get some really interesting insights and also tips from her. So I'm really excited to have her on my podcast. With that, let's jump straight into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. And Today, we have a really interesting guest here with us today. So we have Sarah Law, and she's currently actually an HR business partner at RBC and an HR professional that's been in the workforce for five plus years. And today, she's going to be just talking to us about kind of the behind the scenes of hiring and also her journey as an HR professional. So hi, Sarah. I'd love to know, you know, your horoscope, your current job description, and just a little bit about you. Sure. And thanks so much, Heidi, for having me join you today. I'm super excited. But hi, everyone. I am Sarah, and I was born and raised in the GTA. I went to Waterloo for my undergrad, and then I went to U of T for my master's. And like you said, currently an HR professional. I've spent the majority of my career working in the campus recruitment space, specifically tech campus recruitment. But now I am currently an HR business partner at RBC. In terms of my horoscope, I am an Aries, also born in April, so yay, April babies. Um, Yeah, but it's actually a pretty accurate description, I think, of who I am. I'm energetic, independent, always on the go, moving at a super fast pace, creative. So I think it describes me pretty well. I guess fun fact about me, I have two dogs. And these two dogs take up all of my time when I'm not working. And Heidi, you look so surprised. I guess you haven't seen their pictures before, but I'll send them to you after. (laughs) What's the breed of the two dogs? So the older one who is going to be one year old in January, she's an Alaskan Malamute. Like, you know, the type that pulls sleds in the winter. They're like a giant fluffier version of a husky. And then the other one who's currently four months old she is a Samoyed, so a huge, white, fluffy, like cotton ball. So clearly I have a thing for giant, fluffy dogs. But also <laughs> an addition. So Sarah is actually my cousin. I totally forgot to say that in so the beginning. I didn't know if you wanted to keep that on the down low. And here I am being all like professional and stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I wanted to add that in just because, you know, when I thought of this episode and what I wanted to talk about, I knew that you would be the perfect fit for it. Also with your personality as Aries Unite. So yes. I'm so excited for this episode. <laughs> Good. Good, so am I. 
So first, we're going to be going through a truth or myth session on everything to do with HR and also the job industry. Then we're going to go into part one, which is the life behind HR, your own journey and opportunities within the HR space. And then secondly, we're going to end off with tips for 2020 graduates. So we had a lot of questions being sent in from Instagram. So I'm really excited to ask you about those. So I guess the first prompt for the truth or myth session is many companies are on a hiring freeze since COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I, I love to say that it's a myth, but I think it's leaning more towards a partial truth. And I'll explain what I mean by that. I know for a fact that there were many companies, even large companies, brands that both you and I know for sure across Canada, in the U.S., and they just had no choice but to retract their offers for summer internships earlier this year because of the pandemic. And I think that makes a lot of sense. At that time, they didn't even know what it would look like for their full-time permanent employees, let alone for summer students, right? So here we were at RBC, and I'm talking about a few months ago, where we had made offers to close to a thousand students across Canada. And we were well, actually looking back, I'm now so proud of what we did because very early on, senior leadership just took a stance and they said, you know what, we're going to keep all of our summer offers. We're not going to take anything back. And we just had to think on our feet and pivot super quickly. But I say that in a, a positive way because I, I really think this is a partial truth, meaning there are still really key roles that are required for keeping things business as usual. And there's also some industries that are now dealing with the huge influx of work as a result of the pandemic, right? There's telecommunications, IT, customer service, manufacturing, and they have to now suddenly scale up and hire in much larger volumes than they did before. I guess for the second one, and we talked a little bit about this before, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> networking is one of the most important components to finding a job. Yeah. And Heidi, you can totally echo this. And you know, from your personal experience that the answer is yes. I guess what I want to say here is that networking for sure is a key component, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. Because anytime it comes to career related things, whether it's landing a job, or being considered for new opportunities, promotion, etc. There's actually two types of currency that you need to have. One is called performance currency, and the other is relationship currency. Have you heard of this kind of like terminology before? No, I actually okay. haven't. Let me try to enlighten you. Performance currency basically refers to the fact that you just need to be killing it in whatever you're doing, either as a student or maybe an intern, a co-op, whatever capacity it is, you need to be delivering and on your A-game and just be an ultimate star performer in your current occupation. But I think the problem is that many people think hard work is enough, like hard work they think is going to get them where they want to go. And unfortunately, it's, it's not going to get you very far. Like hard work alone will not get you very far. And that's where the piece around relationship currency comes in. And that's referring to the time that you would invest into building relationships with people around you. So that's the networking. Those are the coffee chats. Pre-COVID times, that would be going out for lunch with your coworkers and your colleagues. And the reason why it's so important is because you need someone to speak for you and to vouch for you when you can't be there to do that for yourself. And performance currency and relationship currency, the two are really dependent on each other. Because if you just work hard, but no one knows you, you're not going to get far. 
right? And on the other hand, if you've got awesome relationships, but you don't work hard and you don't excel at what you do, then there's really nothing for people to talk about you and there's no reason for them to talk about you. Yeah, for sure. I can speak off of, I think, a lot of other students that I know at my school too, where I think they're most scared of taking that first step to reach out and doing coffee chats. I remember, okay, before I had my like last co-op, I don't think I ever had a coffee chat. And I'm so ashamed to say, but I was just like really scared of reaching out to people. And people think that if I'm an introvert or if I'm not very comfortable talking to people that I end up like won't be able to get a job, right? And I think that's that's a huge barrier that, you know, a lot of people have to kind of push towards and like push over to be like, you know, it, it's scary, but it's also good to be in that uncomfortable zone. And once you practice it more, you'll be more comfortable in that space. Totally. And I think it's important being authentically you. Like if you are an introvert and you're not an extrovert, don't be ashamed about that. Just own it. And just because you're an introvert doesn't mean it has to be an awkward conversation, right? You could still do your homework, still do your research, come up with a list of meaningful questions that you want to ask the other person. And who knows, maybe that person you're reaching out to is also an introvert and they're thankful that you're not an extrovert so they can now have a more comfortable conversation. So I totally agree with you. Take the first step, get out of your comfort zone. If you're always in your safe zone, you're not going to be able to learn and progress. And then I guess going into our part one. So first, we're going to be talking about life behind HR. So what was your personal journey going into HR? Why did you choose HR, RBC? And really, where do you see yourself in the future, like five years down the road? I think my story is a bit of a long story. So bear with me. I don't know if you've heard of this one before. But when I first went into Waterloo, I went in for AFM, which is accounting and financial management. And you, knowing me, you probably are rolling your eyes and thinking that's so not you, Sarah. And that's what everyone around me was trying to tell me. But of course, I had like Tiger Mom who was like, you need to get a stable job. Accounting is awesome. We know people who are accountants. It's well paid. And of course, I just went into accounting because of that. After the first year, I absolutely hated it. And I was thinking to myself, if I have to wake up every day for the rest of my life doing this, I would be such a miserable person. So that's when I quit the AFM program and I went into psychology. I still had no idea what I was doing with my life. All I knew was that I took a psych course and I really liked it. And so throughout year two and year three of university, I thought I was going to be a psychologist because I was studying psychology, right? And all I knew was that I loved helping people and understanding them and figuring out what motivates them. But in that last summer before my final year of school, I had an HR internship with World Vision Canada, and they're a nonprofit organization that helps developing countries. Truly had no idea what I was signing up for, but I thought, let me just try it. And then I was exposed to so many different aspects of HR. And honestly, that was my light bulb moment. That was where I was like, wow, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And it was such a relief because I finally found something that I enjoy and I was good at. And that is like the recipe for a good career. I think the lesson learned there and going through internships, I feel like is so similar to dating. What I mean by that is it's equally important to figure out what you don't like as it is to figure out what you do like, right? So that's where that dating analogy comes in. Until you try, until you bite the bullet and say, yeah, I'm going to try that, even though I've 
never heard of it before and I don't know what I'm signing up for. That's the only way you're going to figure out what you're good at and what you enjoy. And on the flip side, what you hate and what you're not so good at. And additional question that just popped in my mind too, in regards to that light bulb moment, I would say that I also experienced that light bulb moment with the past company that I'm returning with. So I'm really happy that, uh, you know, it's a company that I resonate with both with their organizational culture and also with the job that I'm doing, right? But I think that a lot of people sometimes struggle to find that light bulb moment. Would you say it's because, you know, they haven't taken enough experiences to find it? Or is there another tip of advice you would give to someone who's like struggling to find that light bulb moment? Really good question. I think it's probably a lack of experience and exposure to things outside of your comfort zone. So that is why my piece of advice here is do things that you don't expect that you would do. And you very likely will find a surprise there and you'll learn something about yourself that you didn't know before going into that experience. If you aren't able to find that light bulb moment, you can also buy some time by doing what you're good at and continuing to perfect that skill, whatever it is, right? If it's you being an influencer, if it's you getting more savvy with Excel and learning how to use macros and build spreadsheets, if you can't find that intersection between your passion and your strength, just start focusing on your areas of strength and exploring that area of strength in different industries. And eventually you'll find that perfect combination of your light bulb moment. One thing that I learned recently is it's not always about the corporate ladder. It's also about the lattice. So it's about the journey that you take. And if that means you're taking horizontal steps or diagonal steps, not necessarily vertical, you're still making progress. And in fact, that can even be an advantage when you look back in the future. So that's probably my encouragement here. It's not just about the ladder. It's also about the journey and the lattice. Yeah. And going into my second question. So a huge part of HR is being able to work with different like different aspects with the company and also employing effective recruitment strategies. So kind of from the behind the scenes of HR, what was something, one lesson or something interesting that you learned in your HR role about motivation and recruitment within an organization? I kind of feel like I'm divulging some uh, hiring secrets here, <laughs> and I don't know if it's going to blow you away. But I think one thing that I really learned from my recruitment career is how crucial it is for a company to walk the talk. So I'm drawing back on an example when I was still in the recruitment space where we were so keen about hiring women in tech. We really put diversity as a priority and we had very stringent gender targets that we were trying to to meet. And then I had to take a step back and ask myself, is this actually reflected throughout our entire recruitment process? Or is it just a statement that we're putting on our social media and our website and our brochures, but it's not something that we're actually living? Um, So it caused me to reflect on questions like, when I set up a booth at a hackathon, do I even have any female representatives there at the booth? Or when a student comes in for the interview process, is a female part of the hiring manager panel? Yes or no? So that, I think that was really useful because it forced us to think about it more strategically. And once we put in some more measures around that, we drastically saw success and improvement. So I think that was a, a key thing that I learned 
from behind the scenes when it comes to recruitment. Yeah, that's so interesting because I know that diversity has been kind of like a big topic for 2020 as well. I remember when I was working over the summer, we had like a diversity and inclusion like meetings to talk about it where we could really raise like our opinions and things like that. And a lot of the time, an issue that I heard too was that, you know, you may be hitting these diversity like percentage targets, but are you actually implementing strategies and helping them in the company, right? So that was a huge gap or opportunity that that was seen within a lot of companies. We had a question from Instagram as well that was really interesting in terms of job applications that we see during COVID since since 2020 started. So what would you say is the average like percentage increase or decrease you saw in job applications or the general like trend since COVID started? Yeah, I don't know that I can put an exact percentage to it, but for sure the trend has been an upward trend, especially when it comes to internal movement. So I'm talking about people who are already part of RBC who are now applying for other opportunities within the company. And that's probably because they realize that it's easier to move within an organization than to move out of it, especially during the fact that we're navigating through a pandemic, right? But even from external mobility, so people who weren't yet part of RBC, we also saw an increase in applications. And that's probably because a lot of offers were rescinded. So for sure, we've, saw, we've seen an influx of applications, both internally and externally. Wow. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I also wonder if people are just like, scared that the economy is going to get worse in the future. So they're like, I got to I gotta get a stable job before all of this goes crashing down. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Anyways, going into my part two. So this is all about the tips that you have for new graduates, like soon to be graduates. I know that I'm a graduate of 2020 myself. So you know, a lot of big organizations focus on campus recruitment, which was a part that you really focused on earlier in your career. So what would you say was kind of the biggest mistake that you saw students during these networking events? This is going to be such a cliche, but it honestly is the truth. And it's that first impressions count. And you can never redo a first impression. It's called a first impression for a reason, right? It really boils down to a few things. Did you do your homework? Do you have meaningful questions to ask me? The biggest mistake I've seen people make is that they ask me questions that they could have found the answers to on our corporate website. So what that tells me is you didn't even care enough to do a simple Google search. And it also tells me that you don't really have the analytical skills to think deeper. So that's my encouragement. Do your homework have a go-to toolbox of three to five networking questions and make sure they're they're meaningful. That's true because even as a senior student going to those networking events where first or second years come to ask you questions, what I saw was that, you know, they came to have like a two-minute conversation just to be ending up with, can I add you on LinkedIn? Or here's my yes. business card. And oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like, okay, we had like one sentence of introducing ourselves and then you're already like, add me on LinkedIn and stuff. And it's just so apparent and so obvious. Yeah. You can really tell when there's a genuine interest in your company or your role versus them, again, just ticking off the box saying, oh, I talked to that person. She's a senior manager in campus recruitment. So I made the right connection because I can now add her on LinkedIn. An additional question on top of that, would you say that schools maybe should implement more measures of teaching their students how to network? Because I know that me going into first year, I like no one taught me 
the basics of networking. You know what I mean? They just kind of threw me in the pond and I had to learn it all myself. So would you suggest that, you know, schools should take on more responsibility to be teaching their students how to network? I totally echo your comment because let's face it, the reason we go to university and spend so much on tuition and residence and everything is so that we can get a good job. And that really is a measure of success from an academic perspective, right? If I worked at the school and I wanted to say, how successful are U of T students? One key metric we would pull up is the placement rate. What percentage of U of T grads have found a good job? And so I totally agree with you. And that's why at RBC, we work really closely with the career centers to make sure that we provide them with the tools that they need to equip their students for success. And I know that RBC is so involved because I have so many friends that worked at RBC. (laughs) (laughs) They always come on campus. They're always networking. Sarah, I've never seen you there before, but it's okay. (laughs) I was busy with the coders and the developers at Hackathon. Staying overnight, not showering, needing dry shampoo. That was that was my role. That was the life. That was the life. That was the life, yeah. <laughs> and I guess going into my second question, so this is kind of a two-pronged question, but I think one of the biggest scares for students are basically trying to find a job and that entails how to differentiate yourself both on a resume and also in person. So I guess the first part of it is on the resume, you know, is it better to go the classic way or a more creative way in order to stand out? This is a really politically correct answer, but it depends. (laughs) And I really (laughs) when I say it depends. So let me explain. Don't just make your resume fancy for the sake of doing that. You need to make sure that it's relevant to the rule that you're applying for, and it has to be cohesive to the overall story that you're trying to tell about yourself. So if you're applying for a role that's leaning more towards the creative side, maybe it's a graphic designer or a UI UX designer, and you need an art portfolio, for example, yeah, go ahead, be creative with your resume, but it still has to be professional. The underlying piece of advice here is be creative, only if it's actually relevant to the position. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it. And if you're you're not too sure, probably err on the side of caution. We're never going to say, oh, this resume looks too professional. We're not going to bring that person in. There's no such thing as too professional. So if you're unsure, be on the safer side and stick with more, more classic. And then the second question to that would be, you know, what do you think is the top interview tip you have for students or recent grads in order to really capture the employer's attention? What you want to do is truly understand what are the core capabilities that this job requires. And think about your own experience and where you would have gained similar experience and where those transferable skills come into the picture could have been from babysitting. It could have been from you being a barista at Starbucks. But hey, if you were at Starbucks, that means you've got crazy time management skills and awesome conflict resolution skills because there are some angry customers that come into Starbucks. So don't look down on those opportunities. Just think about the experiences that you have, how you would have gained those transferable skills and core capabilities that that job is looking for and highlight that in your resume. For sure. Yeah. An additional question I have on top of that is, I know it may be like a politically correct, like it depends, but if we were to weigh in like a passion for a job versus the skills you have, what do employers look for more if there even is a correct answer? And correct me if I'm wrong, if there's like no right answer to this question. Really interesting question. So I think that's where the cover letter comes into the picture because we've received 
uh, job applications where if you just look at the resume, your first reaction would be, why did he apply for this job? It's completely not relevant to what he's studying. He doesn't seem to have any experience. What's the connection here? When we look at the cover letter, that's where the individual told the story. So I think it really is a balance, again, politically correct coming in, um, but it really is a balance between the passion and the skills. It's, it's almost like a spectrum where you don't have the skills, you need to have the passion to make up for it. In terms of the resume too, because I know that there's this stereotype where it's like, you know, people just throw away the resumes, like they just look at one thing, one second, two seconds, and they throw it away. So for you looking at a resume, is there a certain section that you look at first in order to really calibrate whether or not you want to continue looking at this resume or not? Yeah, it would be the top section of the resume, which is your your profile and your key skills. Mm. So those for that area of the resume is your opportunity to grab my attention. So you really have like a 10 to 15 second window to grab my attention, which sounds scary. But at the same time, if you spend a lot of time in that profile section, it could be really impactful. And okay, sorry, I have so many additional questions. They're just like popping in my mind. You're just like catching me off guard, Heidi. No. So I know that, so you worked at KPMG and I know a big part of KPMG is that assessment like logic test. (laughs) So I'm just a little bit curious about what that tells you about a candidate and how you kind of calibrate those results. Because I know that I've taken it for P&G, Unilever, always failing it. And sometimes I do it with other people. I don't know if that's cheating, but like, it's like a group thing that we do together, right? And, And we end up failing all together too. And it's just like, I don't really know how to pass this at this point, you know, and I feel like a lot of students also feel this way and don't really see the core point of having this like as a measure of your intelligence or a measure of like how fast you're able to comprehend some things. My personal stance on this is it doesn't hurt to have an assessment because it goes back to what I was saying earlier around data points. We as an employer are trying to gather as many data points on our candidates as possible before we determine, is this someone that we want to bring in for an interview? And it makes sense from an efficiency perspective because we just don't have the time to speak face-to-face with every single person that's applying. So I think assessments are good when they're viewed as just one piece of the puzzle. Where I disagree with the use of assessments is when they are a deal breaker. So if the company says this person failed the assessment, regardless of how awesome their resume looks, regardless of the fact that I've met them at a networking event and they really fit in our culture, I'm still not going to move forward with them because they failed the assessment. I am still not that much of a believer in the science behind that. I understand what the assessment is trying to capture, but I don't think it's a perfect representation of what success at that company could look like. And I I think it's to the company's detriment, truthfully, that they now no longer have that diversity of thought in the people that they bring on board. And to end this off on a more lighthearted note, so I ask this to all my guests, but after COVID-19, what's the first place you want to visit and why? That's really tough. Like I said, I love traveling. So I would either want to go back to Japan. I went to Japan last year and I fell in love. So it would either be Japan or the Mediterranean. I was supposed to go there for my honeymoon on like a two-week cruise. My dream is to see the islands like Santorini and spend some time in Mykonos and then 
go to Italy on the Amalfi Coast, maybe go to France as well. So either the Mediterranean or Japan. I'd probably say Japan now, though, because I feel like I haven't had good sushi in a long time. So if I had to pick one, it would be Japan for me. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and make sure you stay for the season finale episode. So we're talking to the one and only Luke West. So he's the founder of The Imperfect Pod, which if you haven't listened to an episode, why haven't you? You should go do that now. And he's also a member of the Talking Hockey podcast crew. So he is what I would like to say, my podcast mentor. And we're going to be talking to him about his journey you know this past like year or so really creating these podcasts creating such a vulnerable and open platform to really talk about toxic masculinity and other really important topics so i am ready to just ask him all about his journey his learnings and any tips he has for someone who's just starting off a podcast so make sure you join me next week for the season finale If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a review on Apple Podcasts as it would really help this podcast be noticed by other listeners that may enjoy it as well. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor for new episodes every hashtag Happy Monday. And you can also visit our Instagram at Happy Spotless Minds. Have a great week. I am your podcast host, Heidi Poon, and thank you so much for listening to Happy Spotless Minds. See you next week. Bye.